0: pre having this session of the podcast uh, myself and Sarah had a conversation and and Sarah was saying, you know, um, just highlighting her uncomfortability, uncomfortableness around talking about race and using the phrase, I'm afraid to get it wrong. And my response to her was, well, as a manager and as people who have relationships, who in and out of work, We're constantly going into forums, sessions, meetings, one-to-ones, whatever, and get it wrong.
1: Welcome to the Full Stop Podcast with Sarah Lawrence from After the Storm, Berenice Smith from Walking Our Shoes, and me, Michael Hughes, from Married and Childless. Our community is potentially the most diverse community in the world, and we all know how much empathy there is within it. We thought it was important that we somehow comment on the death of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement for those of colour in our community we realised it would be fundamentally wrong for three white people to try and talk of a life that we have never lived. So we reached out to our dear friend, Yvonne John, and just in case you don't know who she is, she's a courageous, childless black woman and a great supporter of the show. So we asked her to host it and invite guests of her choice. So you'll listen to Hanifa Muhammad, Krista Cooper, Bindi Shah, and a fellow podcaster whom we greatly admire, Sevilla Morgan. You won't hear much from the three of us. We felt it was important to listen, learn, and understand. Now, this discussion may be uncomfortable for some, but we want to challenge you to sit through this important discussion. We want you to go through the discomfort, and this will make sense at the end of the episode, because we all have the capacity to be change agents. Now please note, a trigger warning, through the episode, there is reference to childbirth and motherhood. Okay, that's enough from me. Let's meet our guests.
2: So not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. And that was from James Baldwin. Yes. So would you like to talk us through that quote and why why it's particularly um, special to you, Yvonne?
0: Well, I think in light of all the stuff that's been happening and, and, you know, we all know about George Floyd now because it's been very prominent in the news, it's really brought to light, I suppose, the anger amongst the black community. And so there's been a lot of conversations, a lot of documentaries, a lot of things things going on now that, you know, for me has changed in a way the conversations I've certainly been having with my friends and also with white people. And um, James Baldwin being, you know, I saw a documentary quite recently and James Baldwin was very, very prominent and very active back in the 60s, if I've got that right, where with the Black Panthers and all the things that were happening, he was out, you know, advocating for black people and speaking in in a very public way. And this was one of the quotes that came from that time. And I thought it's very apt because... With, you know, my experiences of racism and, and you know, as much as this, is, this isn't a competition about racism, we all have different experiences, whether it's subtle or very overt. With my experiences around racism, I have found that, especially as a manager, that it's very difficult to talk about it. And it's almost like this taboo subject. And as soon as, you know, I, I found that, I was saying to a friend yesterday that, you know I find that I can't even get the words I think this is racism out before someone wants to shut it down and I think this quote for me is very apt because actually we do need to talk about racism racism isn't a horrible word racism is a fact it's a thing that we're experiencing and understanding what it is from both sides because I know white people have a a fragility around talking about it because it's almost like well I'm not racist so I'm not going to touch it so let's close it down now and no no let's move on and until we both understand each other's experiences how are we going to heal from it and and actually move forward and I don't think it's move on because it's forgetting about it it's actually moving forward into a space where actually we can be open and honest and have compassion around what's what our experiences and what's going on for each other. So that's why I was very keen on it, on using that quote and starting with that quote. And I thought it'd be a very good opportunity. Hence why I've invited these lovely ladies on the call to, as well with me. I thought it'd be very a, a really great opportunity actually to talk about our experiences and we can start with the present and then start working backwards. But I thought it'd be really great to actually come together and hear the, these experiences because again it's i think this is a unique opportunity to have this collective and and have these conversations as well
2: yeah so uh, i mean i've got to be honest as a white person i mean we were very conscious that we are three white people doing this podcast uh, which is why we kind of wanted uh, other people to come in and talk about it but it is a bit of an elephant in the room i think as a white person It's like, how do we bring that conversation up? Because you're never quite sure what reaction you're going to get because everyone is different, aren't they? In how they perceive it, how they want to discuss it, how they want to kind of be in that conversation. So how how have you all found these, these latest events and the conversations that are happening?
0: I'll let one of the other ladies start. I know Hanifa actually, I'll go with Hanifa because we've had a few conversations about this recently as well. Okay. Um, hi everyone. So, have I found
3: this, uh, have I found this, this t- things at this time? I mean, in terms of having conversations, I was on a Zoom call l- l- last evening, and I was on I've been on a few this, this week, looking at the this this whole issue. And actually next week, the ones that the, the um Zoom calls I've been on, I was on last week and yes and last evening were um it's a closed group for sisters, for African women. Um for our next Zoom call, it'll actually it's an open group. So it is for all male, female, white african you know you name it whoever comes on comes on and it looks as though there's going to be it's going to be quite a conversation by the sounds of it um and i think it's going to mirror for me it's going to mirror very much the experience that i've i've had recently whether it's in terms of one-to-one conversations or whether it's been listening to debates and uh on the tv or the radio there is very much this sense uh among both African people and um, Europeans, that this or white people, that there is this sense. I feel that um, the sense of a need to talk about this and bring this elephant into the room. Let's bring it here. Let's let's talk about it. But yeah, there is a sense of discomfort, both from. African people, uh, from my experience, and, and on the part of um, white people too, about talking about Because it's not something we're used to talking about. We in our smaller circles may well be, uh, and I certainly am, but in terms of discussing it with groups of people, I go to work and I'm with a very mixed group there, very mixed group there, and um, in, t- in fact, it's not actually come up at all. And the fact that I'm new there that, that is a is a factor, obviously, because uh, I'm not just going to walk in on my second day and say, "Oh, what do you think about um, the, uh, about racism today?" That's not going to yeah. happen. But but it's so so in that particular situation, it's not being discussed. But I do feel it's something that is. Um, that I'm comfortable speaking about. I recognise that other people may not be, whether they be African people or uh, white people, they may not be. I recognise that. I have to say that I am just... I'm in my sixties now, so I am just tired of pussyfooting around this topic um, and creeping around the edges. I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of having to cope with... um, whether it be the, a sense of, I, oh, I, I, I feel so sorry about this. and so, I'm sorry for you white folks because you feel like that. Or white folks, I'm sorry for you black folks because you feel like that. And how can I help? I'm just so tired of that stuff. I'm really, really tired. For me, I'm about, okay, what are we going to do about it? What are we actually going to do about it? Because there's no one that can tell me they don't recognize that racism exists, and racism is about white power um, as opposed to um, black inferiority. That's just for me, that's the equation, and that's that right there and they're done. So it's like how we're going to either redress the balance or forget the balance and just black people carve out our thing for ourselves and create um, and create change where we can peaceful change but if it can't be peaceful then I'm afraid it may have to then something else may have to happen but we don't want that we want peaceful change but there's gonna to have to be some agitation I recognize that and fine let's go with the agitation let's go with the discomfort but let's have that conversation so the answer to your question is how have I found it it's still obvious it's, it's something that's on the agenda very obviously very much on the agenda um, uh, it is something that i get the sense that people are not gonna african people are not going to let it go away now not prepared to let it go away um, and white people are i think my experience my people who oh i regard as either colleagues or or, or friends uh, are, are, are not willing to let it go they want to talk about it but still it's an it's an it's an uncomfortable thing, but I'm, I'm going, I'm saying, let's go with the discomfort, you know, and, um, you'll have to deal with yours. You, I'll support you with yours if you like, but trust me, I'm not going to be hanging back anymore and wiping anyone's tears about this. I'm going to, I'm taking the steps that I can and taking actions that I can to, um, ensure that this, that racism is challenged in the areas and on the platforms that I can challenge it. I'm not gonna stay silent. I never have really, but
0: I'm just gonna raise my voice an octave or two. It's interesting how you talk about um, wiping away the tears, um, Hanifa, because both Nova Reed and Rene Eddy Lodge in their work have, have experienced what they would call white women's tears when they're talking yeah. about the, the racism that yeah. they've experienced and because and, yeah, they do yeah. a lot of work around race. And it, it's, it's interesting that people feel the need to cry about it, you know, mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
0: instead of actually sitting with the discomfort, as Hanifa has said, and, and maybe asking questions around it. Because for me, the discomfort is where we learn. And therefore, having the conversations around what you find uncomfortable is... is a good place to be, as difficult as that is. And I think all of this is creating other spaces now that is starting to allow us to have those uncomfortable conversations, even though I think there's still some tentativeness around it. But I think, this is, to me, I describe it as this explosion that is now giving us a platform or a voice to now express the hurt and the anger that we're feeling inside. Mm-hmm. absolutely and i just want to say this very quickly i don't i
3: don't um i don't deny anyone um they uh if they have the 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 need or feel that tearfulness is their way is a way of expressing how they're feeling it's 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 healthy it's right that's what should happen that's that there's nothing wrong with that um i think But I'm just saying, I don't want to be, I don't want to feel, I don't want those tears, And so I have to take responsibility for that. Not to allow somebody else's tears to weaken me and suddenly make me become the victim and I'm now got to rescue you because you feel discomfort. Nah, not doing that. I I will support and help where I can, but you also have to, don't, don't use those tears as a means of making, trying to make me feel uncomfortable. There was a program here in the UK, three nights ago, Yvonne, um, you may remember it, um, Bindi, you may have seen it, it was um, called uh, How, a, How a School Tried to End Racism, something like that anyway. Yeah. And it, it, uh, it was, some uh, in fact, some American uh, sisters that came, came into a school and brought a program. And essentially, I, I think it was about trying to bring children or help children to understand how racism plays out um, amongst um, African children and white children. And they did various experiments. It was a very cool experiment, but it was like almost guaranteed there would be at least two of the white children and obviously they're children. So they would, it's an uncomfortable thing. They don't know how to deal with it. They're not adults, but guaranteed, a couple of the white children began crying and it made it very uncomfortable for everyone else in the room um uh, 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 you know not knowing how to deal with that and it was the very thing i'm glad that they were comforted i'm very glad. i don't want to see anyone in discomfort but it it, it's it was like a microcosm of what happens for me anyway in the macro it's it's like right okay so here's so here's the white tears right okay what how so i have to then adjust my brain and my soul to deal with that first. Okay, how am I going to respond to it? And then, right, I'm getting back to business now. Okay, right, because I've got a job to do. I'm here for a purpose, I've got a job to do. Right, let's, let's go with that. Uh, so I'm, I, do, I don't want to sound as if, I'm un, unsympathetic sounds patronizing, but I don't want to say that I'm not, I don't understand some of that tearfulness, because uh, black people, some black people often feel the same, you know, don't want to upset Massa and you know the idea of it is like it's like going to break their hearts yeah right okay well we deal with that in another forum so i've done on this one
4: <clears throat> i think you know just here being in the you know in the us um i mean obviously this is i mean if you go back historically you know this country was built on the back of Black people. Um, you know, they were brought here specifically for the economic gain of, of whites, right? So, I mean, if you look at the foundations of the US, um, the ways in which native, you know, um, people were exploited and sold and their land stolen from them. And, you know, um, and then, you know, African slaves brought here. And, you know, I think the legacy of of the U.S., people tend to um, forget to look at that, and I think just like if you were going to purchase a home, for example, and you were doing inspection, there are some things that you would want to make sure are very stable um, before you purchase that home. What is the foundation like? Is the roof leaking? You know, how much work do you have to actually put into, you know, into this home um, to make sure that it's habitable, to make sure that it's safe? Um, and there are peoples you know in this country that have felt fundamentally unsafe um it hasn't been habitable if you will um you know to a degree and so i think you know just kind of going off of that just foundational premise there um i think it's it's easy for people to ignore or you know um push to the side oh no that's not you know um that's not what it is or um and discounting you know people's experiences um of racism you know um but watching events here in the u.s unfold um in the way that they have at least in the past um you know couple months um you know there's coronavirus that took all of us by but then um obviously there have been other murders of black men, black people, you know, in in the US. But I was saying something to, um, we had a group um, to help, I'm a university professor, so we had um, a group to help students process through, you know, some of their feelings about these events. And one of the things that I said was, um, something about George Floyd's death hit me different because I didn't watch the video, I don't need to watch the video to know I'm traumatized enough, like, you know, but I saw my dad on that ground. I saw men that I love, you know, crying for their mother or, you know, just having somebody's foot on on your neck um, and watching the life go out of somebody. I just, I don't, um, yeah. It's just every time I talk about it, I, I, you know, um, we talk about being emotionally regulated. And when someone is emotionally regulated, you know, you're able to, um, you know, you're able to deal with your emotions. And when, you know, when you become dysregulated, then everything starts going haywire. You don't have the coping skills to be able to kind of bring yourself back to homeostasis. And I think we are profoundly in a state of dysregulation um, in so many ways, um, you know, in this country. And the traumatization, the weaponization of race um, is just so pervasive. And it's very disheartening to hear people push it aside, you know, or... All you need to do is go on Facebook and have somebody post about race and just read through. I always tell my students, when you watch YouTube, read through the comments. Mm-hmm. Read through, because you'll find out a whole lot, you know, through the comments. And just hearing the ignorance and the, the vitriol, I mean, of people, um, the names, the just it, it's so disheartening. So, I mean, anybody who knows me knows that I'm a news junkie, and I've just had to turn off because it it was you know we're at stay at home orders you know i'm dealing with students on zoom you're in the house you're and you have to deal with all of this stuff that you're seeing and it's just um you know i've had people reaching out to me um white you know uh, associates or you know and it's I've almost felt like to a degree, not everybody, obviously, but there's this need to kind of say, that's not me, you know, and it's like, I think to a degree, I mean, all of us have to face, you know, our prejudices in in some way, shape or form. So don't be so quick to say that's not you, because it may very well be you, um, we're just not aware of the lengths to which people um black and brown persons have to continuously code switch all the time you know you're expected to be one person in one space and then another person in another space and you know you're judged by how you speak or what you wear or how you you know it's just and it's a it's a different level and that wears on one that you can't be who you really are so to speak because of this sort of framework or social construction of who you should be and what it means to live in your body. The fact that you can just be killed for just, I mean, just falling asleep in your car or, you know, and next thing you know, you end up dead or your arm is broken or, you know, Ahmad Arbery, you know, just, it, it's just too much. It's too much and we need to, to address it. Um, not just by talking about it but by doing
2: so there's a sense from what you're saying obviously hannafer talked about the 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 frustration and the anger i guess Mm -hmm. that's kind of coming up at the moment and you're seeing it all over the world but there's also a sense that you almost feel like you have to be a social chameleon then to Mm -hmm. adjust around the context in which you're in you can't just be you
0: yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) Patrice Jackson, in her book *White Spaces, Missing Faces*, describes just the shifting, mm-hmm. and she has a really good um, uh, phrase uh, context around the fact that Black women are continuously having to shift, and, and Black men are doing this too. But mm-hmm. we are shifting in the spaces we're in to be accepted, to to make white people feel safe, to 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 not uh, come across as the stereotypic black person that people think we possibly could be, you know, there's so, so much going on. And, you know, just listening to Krista, it just reminds me, I mean, how fr- how fragile we are as a race, because there's not much we can do to express our hurt and, and upset and anger without <coughs> being seen as, Mm -hmm. the the aggressive person or the angry black woman or you know I I have found in even in my own spaces that it doesn't take much to be treated like the angry black woman just because I'm speaking up and and giving my opinion you know when I'm saying stop no I don't agree with this and actually this had nothing to do with race it's just me in the work context that as soon as I speak up I'm the angry black woman so when you're when you add the explosion of what's happened when you add the anger, which is, you know, when you look at post traumatic slave syndrome and, and they are actually classing what we've experienced as a race, as a type three trauma that we are carrying so much. And because we haven't healed from that, because we haven't had the opportunity to, there's this bubbling up of our anger that, in a way we're not even allowed to express. You know, I found that when people reached out to me and asked me what I felt about what was going on, I said, you know, of, of course it's horrific that somebody had their neck on this man and took his life. But I said, I realized in that moment that people are always got their neck on, you know, somebody's always got a knee on my neck. That is my life. And it's been my life for as long as I can remember because people don't want to hear what me as a black woman, what Yvonne as a black woman has to say and what and what people coming from a racial position, you know, or where people want to talk about their race and their experiences around race, especially in the workplace. People don't want to hear that. White people don't want to hear that. They want to dismiss it. So effectively, we've all got a knee on our neck.
5: Well, can I dip in? Oh, please
0: do, Sevilla. I, don't I think I've know got some to white start. woman tears, black woman tears, sorry, <laughs> here now, because, it, it, you know, even for me, it's getting so emotional, but Sevilla, please.
5: <laughs> I don't even know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'll say one thing. Oh, good morning, everybody. I'll say one thing. Nobody, nobody has to ask me what I think because I'm saying it. <laughs> And, I, 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 and of course, I have to, um, I, I'm, I guess kind of like what Yvonne was saying, you still have to be careful because, um, and what um, Crystal was saying, let me just say, there will always be, hopefully the, group's, the group gets smaller and smaller, but there will always be this group of people who, they don't care. They do not care this about people of color. This that's just cute. how it's going to be. <laughs> the only thing we can hope is that the group gets smaller. And the way that's going to happen is by talking about this. And I believe that we're going to have to just, we're just going to have to be uncomfortable. Everybody's just going to have to get uncomfortable <laughs> because that's the only way we're going to make it through this. There's not going to be any, um, I think there there are two books out there that I want to read um how to be an anti racist and white fragility those are the two books i think everybody should be reading right now and i'm going to be reading them i'm going to be ordering them off amazon so i think we if we start from there everybody <laughs> you know i think that's a good place to start but let me just say we're all going to have to be comfortable with the conversation and i'll be honest before Before, because there's there's pre-George Floyd and there's post-George Floyd. Pre-George Floyd, I had no patience for making people feel comfortable. Let's just say white people feel comfortable. I didn't set out to start any conversations with anybody, but I didn't feel like my role on this planet was to make white people understand my plight or the plight of the black person that was not my role that's not i'm sorry i wasn't put here for this but then post george floyd um another uh and this was just really recently this person of color um had a conversation with me and he said that he is looking at all the posts that i because I, some of you are friends on facebook and you see my thought for the day for the day posts <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's what I'm. I guess I'm trying to get to. I have to still. I have to be careful because of my platform. It's not that I'm being fake or phony, but I still have to be careful because I don't want to alienate anybody. But I still have to keep it real because I will not be not keeping it real. So I have to find this middle ground because they say you draw more um, bees with honey than with vinegar. I guess is the saying, and it doesn't make any sense for me to get out there and be what may, some people may perceive as ugly when it's really just the thing that's happening. It's what I've been through. It's my experiences. Um, one of the things I posted was about the fact that I went to an event. It was an event to judge kids, like middle school and high school children. and um they needed people in the the finance area and they didn't have enough people. And so I got to the event, they were serving breakfast. I got to my table because they assigned our tables before the judging began. And so we're all judges. We're all from different walks of life. And I got to the table and I immediately noticed that I'm going to be the only black person at the table. The only black female, everybody else, There were white males. I don't remember if there are any females, but everybody else is white. I got to the table and I said, good morning, and nobody answered. And I sat down and I thought to myself, oh, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. Bright and early in the morning. I'm not a morning person. And here we go. So, you know, internally, I'm like, really? We're still doing this. And externally, you have to put on the facade, like, okay, I'll be the bigger person. And then one of the um, the event coordinators comes by. She says good morning, and everybody says everybody answers good morning. I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> and she says, um, I need somebody from the um, we're short finance people. And I said, well, I'm a former stockbroker. Could I help with that? And she was like, oh my gosh, yes, like no big deal. She stuck me in that slot immediately, immediately. The atmosphere at the table changes. Everybody seems like, oh shoot, we just ignored somebody that's probably 10 times smarter than we are. Because you, you can look at people's name tags and see what their walks of life or you know what they're doing. And sorry, but I probably was the most educated person at the table. And the, the whole thing, everything changed. And during the judging, a couple of them even stopped by my table to chit-chat. And I'm thinking. <laughs> Why why could why is that where you had to start? What what what's going on? What when is this going to stop? This was a few years ago. And these are the experiences that that as black people we have to have all the time. It's all the time. We're immediately judged on our skin color. We're immediately judged that we don't have any sense, any schooling. I remember when I um finished my bachelor's degree somebody said oh will you be the first person to to graduate from college in your family actually no my dad got his bachelor's degree in 1965 before i was born (laughs) immediately you think people think you're the first person to graduate from college i mean i have a college educated dad duh i mean it could happen it's just we have to stop judging each other on skin color we really do it's really annoying and so that's where i post um my thoughts on facebook all the time but i have to be careful because i don't want to alienate people because there are literally people white people who had were, were they were raised a certain way with a certain kind of thinking and i, I, I can't really I can't be mad at them. That's, that's what I have. I'm learning post-George Floyd that these, these people are really thinking this about people of color. They're thinking what they see on the news is all of us, that we all live in the hood, that we all come from the ghetto, that we're all the first person to graduate from college in our family. And it's just because what, what they see on TV And so sometimes I post about the fact that you need to get from in front of the television and get out into the world and start talking to people. And so now post-George Floyd, the conversation when we're talking to each other is going to have to include the uncomfortable stuff. And I believe that the only way we're going to grow and get through this is to be uncomfortable. And uh, like Hanifa said, the tears are not, they're just not going to affect me at all. I'm very sorry. Sorry, not sorry. The tears are not going to affect me. We, We have to get past the tears because when I see the tears, I think about the woman in Central Park who called the cops on this black man because he told her her dog needed to be on a leash. This is a college educated man. And because she said that her dog, he told her that her dog needed to be on the leash. She got out her phone and called the police and said, I'm gonna tell them that there's a black man that's, um, that's bothering me. So she already knew the code, she knew the words, she knew what to say, and she called the cops. Fortunately for him, he was recording her. And unfortunately for her, she got canned. <laughs> she got summarily fired, and I'm sure she, she got fired from, the, the firm that she got fired from, I'm sure she had a very big position at that firm, but they were not gonna play that game with her because that was gonna call their name down. And so I think companies and people, and I'm really so heartened to see this, that there are, and I hope they stick with it. That's my fear now. Are they going to stick with this? Or when the news cameras go away, everybody's going to go back to normal. We cannot go back to normal. We Mm can't, we can't afford it because like Hanifa said, I really believe I'm not, I don't want this because I don't like discomfort. I want to live, continue living in, in my quiet, peaceful neighborhood. But I'm telling you, if we do not talk about this and have this conversation globally and fix this and continue to move on to fix it, I think we're gonna have some kind of race war or something. That's always my big fear, especially, and I'm sorry, if you guys need to cut this out, you can, but especially with the person that's in the White House right now, I believe he wants a race war. That's my deep-seated belief. I believe he does. He's always stoking it. He's stoking everything having to do with race. And that's, that's my biggest fear is that that's what he wants and he'll probably get it. But there have, I believe there's got to be enough of us on this planet to not let that happen. We can't let that happen. We just have to have the conversation, as uncomfortable as it is, and then push through and, and not let this happen again. And not watch. I saw the video. And when I saw the video, I posted on Facebook God, that could be my brother. That could be my nephews, that could be my father, that could be my black cousins, my male cousins. It could be any family member, it could be anybody. When is this going to stop? It has to stop, and if it means changing the way policing is done, which is what it means. I'm not saying get rid of the police because I want to be able to call 911 but I'm just saying there have to be fundamental changes because there is fundamental racism running through every aspect of our lives and every part of this planet. And that's it for now for me.
0: (laughs) I think, I mean, education and, you know, even black people educating ourselves on our history Mm -hmm. is an important part of this. I mean, and Hanifa always reminds me it's pre-slavery as well because pre-slavery, you know, we had riches, we owned property, we owned land, and that's never been taught. Mm-hmm. Slavery yeah. robbed us of so much, and there's, there's a, you know, there's that genetic memory, that, that history around slavery that we, for ourselves, need to understand, and white people need to do the work too. I agree, you know, Sevilla said it, it's not for us to educate, and, and you know, my experiences as white people coming to me to educate them, actually, no, go and do the work, there's enough resources out there enough resources out there for you to find out i'll have a conversation with you yeah absolutely but i'm not here to to in in, in a way give you the book give, right. here you go here, here's here's what to learn um but you know yeah. listening to Sevilla it just reminds me of how much and i've seen this in my experience i've heard it so many times from other my friends from other black people how much we have to prove ourselves to be accepted You know, I remembered at school, at university being asked if English was my first language. I was born and raised in England. Um, I remember a friend, and I have other friends who've said similar stories, but a friend in church, and this was a couple of years ago, but a friend said um, her white colleagues in church wouldn't talk to her at all, always ignored her, never acknowledged her presence. And till they heard her talking one day, And she's a business owner. So they heard her talking about her business to someone else. And it was like, oh my God, you talk so well. You're very articulate. And then wanted to keep engaging her with things.
5: (laughs) No, (laughs) no, you had your chance. No.
4: (laughs) even, Even with that, even with education, you know, I mean, my parents are are from the Caribbean you know I was born in the U.S. but my parents are from Jamaica and it was always um get your education get your education I mean it was like I don't know just the mantra of you know of my youth and and early and I was having a conversation with a colleague and I said I I now clearly realize that of course, my parents. I mean, that was their generation. It was like you know, go get a good education, stay in the same job for you know the next however. Thirty um, years. Haha, <laughs> 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 which is totally a joke right now. <laughs> but um, but I said to them, no matter how educated I am, it still doesn't matter because I'm still a black woman, mm-hmm. and you know, it it's that thing that you were talking about, um, Yvonne. You know, where it's like, if you, um, you know, it's like, oh, you have a doctorate and whatever, but I can still speak and it's still, oh, well, you know, you're intimidating. I can't tell how many times I've had that. Oh, you're intimidating. You're, I was scared to talk to you because, you know, or gosh, you know, you just seem so passionate. Passionate is the code word, guys. Mm -hmm. Passionate. Yeah. Um, For angry black women. (laughs) For angry black women and um and so, angry. right so i suddenly real i was like no matter what i do you know what i mean no matter how much education i have i'm still going to be perceived in a certain way by certain people right and it's you know if you speak your mind if you if you're um you know i've had that thing too. oh you're so articulate what you know um it's it, it just reinforces the fact to me that you know there are these these archetypes that exist these these ways of of categorizing people mm-hmm. and you know no matter what we do no matter how much education um business own whatever you know it's people are going to look at you and make you know assumptions about mm-hmm. you that are you know not true i think we all do it to some degree i mean that's how we're wired we can't yeah. always be done full you know, yeah. but you know mm-hmm. it's you add on top of these these layers you know of oh not only are you a woman you're a black woman you're a you know and we put these and so that means x y and z right not even giving the person never got a
5: chance a, you never yeah. got a chance
4: so um but being black means something a black or a brown person means something completely different
0: yeah i remember my dad um telling me i'm gonna have to work twice as hard because i'm a woman and because i'm black
4: yeah
0: and it, and it's so mm-hmm. true you know i remember the first job i applied for post-university and just waiting for my um exam results but knowing that i had um Passed, had done all my modules, you know, was successful in 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 the whole process, and lost out to the job to a white girl who had to repeat a module, hadn't even finished doing (laughs) half her assessments, but she was better, you know, better placed for the job than I was.
5: I heard that a lot. There's somebody else that had the. I kept hearing that. That's that's what I've heard through my life. This trust me. My dad, when I got my bachelor's degree, he said, "Well." You know, a bachelor's degree is just like a high school degree. You might as well just go get your master's. Mm. And so I went and got my master's. You know, maybe you should get your PhD. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm done. <laughs> he just wanted to I knew what he was doing, but I, I was done. I'm no. A master's is enough. I'm done. I, I'm I'm done. I'm done trying to prove who I am. I'm not I'm not going to prove who it's I am. Yeah. It's never enough. Yeah. It's never enough.
0: Yeah. It is. Mm -hmm. Bindi, I was just wondering, you know, what your experiences are. You know, I'd really like to hear more from Bindi and her experiences as
4: well.
6: Yeah, Yeah, we have. Well, the first thing I really noticed after the George Floyd killing was that how in the UK everyone was like, well, it's not that bad here. So then I was like, right, well, maybe I need to speak up and yes, more black and brown (coughs) People need to speak up here because I think a lot of it is that subtleness here and the unconscious bias, which is there as soon as somebody sees the non whiteness of you, I would say, you know, because your skin, you cannot hide that color. So whenever you walk in that room, like Sevilla said, everyone will have some kind of bias against that skin. Mm-hmm. and that color and also all of those microaggressions so that's what i kind of started to do was to highlight them and to inform people about it so i did this via um youtube and i just did a video and i was like okay well i'm going to tell it as it is and i think we all get to that point where silence is not an option anymore and it's we must speak up and yes we're tired my goodness of course we are if we think about all of those years of those microaggressions and that weight on our shoulders that's not easy and it's not something that we feel that we've signed up for but in a way it is the time and it is the you know it's the time to speak up that's how i feel really i do so Yeah, I spoke up about some of my things. And the other thing that happens when something goes on is then you go back into your past and things come up that you might have blocked. Like there was an instant that I had blocked and it had come up during the Grenfell fire. that Because I was speaking to a friend of mine and we were talking about the whole racial injustice issues. And she was talking about her school. And I was like, I can't remember anything that happened in my school. And obviously I'd blocked it because why do we want to remember everything anyway? We can't, it's very difficult to survive and to thrive Mm -hmm. in life if you're constantly with those things. So you do, it's a self-protection, it's a self-preservation, you block things. So I had remembered an instance um, in school where I was starting my secondary school. So I was 11 years old and I used to speak (laughs) in church. I was very good at English, but I was put into like um, an English learner's class, right? Like a separate class without any testing having been done before. Evaluation, nothing. Just put into this class for slow English learners and then I think I was in that class maybe an hour or something and I was taken out and put back into the normal class and it was like and I must have blocked that out I didn't remember it till a, a couple of years ago when the Grenfell happened and it was like oh I remember that instance and then I was like wow what how deep was that how would that affected my Years after that, um, I'm a writer, you know, I write, this is my love. And how would that affected it? How would, where would I be now at 46, if I hadn't had those experiences? So I think it was all of those things that I was thinking more of and getting people to speak out. So in my um, women of color circles, my friend circles, all of that, getting people to speak out, getting people to give me their voice so that I could voice out for them as well if they're not ready. Because not all of us want to and ready. And there's so much hurt and pain, and the depth of it is there that, you know, I think it's up to us when we want to speak out and when we want to do it. And for me, the time is now, and for me, definitely. So yeah, I think it 's all those microaggressions which just go on you through life, and then you come to this um, and that what Krista said about that whole covid that, that whole thing around that and the black and Asian, how here you know it 's affecting us more, and then it makes you think, but then you you're not that surprised because of that whole institutionalized racism, which goes on and in those institutions. And then it makes you realize that health is another institution anyway, Mm -hmm. and we are there and why wouldn't it be different to anything else? So it's, and then that just made Yvonne and I speak about the whole childlessness thing, because, you know, a lot of our, childlessness experiences within the health system (laughs) have made us realize that actually we have another layer there with with the color and with how doctors see us the the in the clinic in the surgery um the care that we're given i feel is you know is lacking
5: I just did an episode on, um, on racism and bias in the medical community and um, how so many women of color had been sterilized down through the years and about getting a second opinion when we go to a doctor. If you feel something in your gut, get a second opinion. I mean, I just did a whole episode on that because that's another thing that I think a lot of white people don't realize happened. And it goes back to what Yvonne was saying about history. Um, We've got to know our history. We all have to know our history. We have to know what's been done to people of color. Um, And I think a lot of the tears, as, as Hanifa mentioned, not to cut in Bindi, I'm sorry, but the tears that people that people, um, that she said that, what, that she sees exhibited, like the woman in Central Park who was crying because she felt like she was being attacked or by a black man. Um, I think those tears are a way of not talking about it or maybe feeling guilt. And this, there's no place for guilt e- either. This is not what this is about. This is not about trying to make white people feel guilty about what happened it's about having the conversation about the history of what happened and then moving forward from here that's what this is about so sorry to cut in but that's that's what i just thought about
0: yeah um i had a conversation about the sterilization of black women with somebody a bit more recently and that's something that came to my attention they recommended the book killing the black body which i've not yet read but i was it, it's really around the fact that there were, I think there were experiments on black women around sterilization, and there was a whole push, a whole promotion around sterilizing young black women as well. Mm. Yes. Know, it, yep. It's just so horrific, horrific to know mm. that these things are happening to us. I mean, I as a black woman didn't know this was happening until yeah. more recently.
4: And it's systematic. I mean, there's it's, systematic,
0: there's yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. Americans here, African American women, um, you know, other other Black mm-hmm. women. Um, it it's just, and again, it's it's, you know, some of it is, a lot of it is power. You know, we, yeah. you know, who's who's in power in the medical establishment, right? So therefore, we can make decisions about Black and Brown bodies but also the the stereotypes that go with that. Oh, you have too many children. All you do is is, you know, have babies and, and like rabbits. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and the sexualization of black yeah. women, it's sort of the commodification of oh, oh, this is what your body is good for. You know, yeah. um, that type of thing. And so I think when you can you can view people as either not human or subhuman or whatever you want to, you know, then suddenly it becomes okay for you to, to do things, you know, like that to um, um, just, you know, if you read about it in books, right? Like black yeah. women undergoing these procedures with no anesthesia because yeah. of yeah. course they're black. So you can, you have a high tolerance for pain. So we can do, look at slavery, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just so crazy. I was going to that- say it's all coming from
0: slavery. these, yeah these are the stories i heard from my research on slavery it, you know it's just, it is all stemming from there it it's just so crazy and you know just thinking around especially as bindi said we've been having conversations you know there's statistics i think it's black women are five times more likely to die in childbirth mm-hmm. yeah yes as, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know the, where we have higher infertility isu- or higher fertility issues than white people, you know, why, you know, my question is, and I'm, I'm asking this flippantly because I know the answer, but if these stats are there, why is nothing being done about it? And as Krista said, it's because who's in power. It is how we're being seen.
5: And that's what I wrote on my latest post. The person with the power wrote the history books. So now we have to go back and and like I, I listen to this podcast. I love this podcast. It's called the History Chicks, and they do um their their podcast is about women in history, and they do a lot. They have a lot of episodes on on black women, and I saw the post. There are all, almost four hundred and fifty posts on their on their group page because I belong to their group, and. A lot of white women posted in there that they didn't know. This is not what they were taught in history class. And they're right, because I wasn't taught about this in history class either, in U.S. history. And um, now they're finding out that, oh, my gosh, all these different presidents that we kept hearing about that were such great men that did so much for Black people in the 60s. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> None of it is true. To <laughs> <laughs> so it's like they're, the they're, they're posting yeah they're posting like oh wow i didn't know this this is such good information this doesn't even one woman posted this doesn't even scratch what i learned in history class doesn't even scratch the surface of what that really is. happened That's we true. all need to go That's back true. and figure and and just just go back and read the history books for real and mm-hmm. i would be remiss black people we have a lot of stuff that we have to make our way through historically as well because like Yvonne said back in Africa Africa is a as it's it's made up of so many nations and countries but a lot of black um a lot of black people sold their own people they sold people from uh other tribes when the white people went to Africa they sold people from their um you know that tribes that they may have been enemies with to the white people. So we have to we have to know our history. I'm not saying that it's okay that slavery was okay because, you know, because we did it to ourselves. No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm saying is we have to know the whole history before we can move forward. There's uh-huh. there's something that my dad told me years ago and I live by this. If you start something on a rocky foundation, a sandy foundation, And I guess you can say you got it from the Bible, but you've got to start on the right foundation. And I think we are remaking. We're in a time now where we have the opportunity to, to remake the foundation or to, to fix it to, um, to strengthen the foundation of, um, of humanity. That's where we are right now, but to strengthen it, we may have to pull some things out, crack some things up and just remove things and just look at, at, at um at the way things really happened so that we can make the foundation firmer of our of our humanity this is a global thing and i know we can't fix everything in one day either but that's where i go back to we've got to know our history and and learn it and face it like i always say face the monster we're going to have to face the monster and that means that time out for tears and guilt and you know, all of the stuff that people are going to try to come up with. Let's face the monster.
6: I think yeah. that history and education piece is so important. And what I realize is when the statue of the slave trader in Bristol was, was taken down, then people started to realize about the slave trading history here, which no one really knew about. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, a few people probably, but I think most of the, Population here, it was like, wow, you know, eyes wide, learning about that history. And I think that's a piece that's not taught that whole colonization history. And that's exactly where that question comes from where are you from? Mm -hmm. And I always believe that that question, where are you from, wouldn't maybe, I don't know if I'm just thinking that, but it maybe wouldn't come up as much if people knew about the history of. You know britain and its colonies so india was a colony and Mm -hmm. then my parents were born in kenya because kenya was a colony and then they came here because they were british subjects and it's Mm -hmm. like that is our our history is at least you know black and brown in the uk at least a lot of people the history is the history of the british empire which we are not taught in schools and it's a shame because it it's is. you know it is our history and it is it's the nation's history and we're not taught this it's true
0: i mean even quite recently something i didn't realize but quite recently i heard that i think it was in 2015 british taxpayers finally paid off the compensation for slavery black people they, have been paying the compensation they, both. they both
5: yeah 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 what (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's
3: that's gotta be madness that 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 has to be madness that's kind of like a whole psychopathic i don't know what would get into someone's head to feel that that is right on any level, but of course I understand why. Of course, I, I, but I do. It enrages me, and that takes away my understanding a bit, or it it it, it jars my understanding. But what do they I pay? The underlying nature. It's 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 racism. Uh, you know that's it, that's it. And so I, I try not to make make anything more complicated of it. Uh, I remind myself that's racism, Anifa. That's it. That's it. Why would you want to pay your own people for um, the crime? Why, why would you want to pay your own people for the crime of enslavement in the first place? Why would you want to compensate them for the crime of, of, of enslavement? Because that's in your nature. Oh, my goodness. Okay, fair enough. That's that's,
2: that's it. Who gets right. that money? and who? That's what I want to know. To <laughs> what's the figure? Where did that come from? How do you compensate for something?
0: Yeah, that's I don't know. And I mean, I, I, I have no idea. And the, again, the anger around it is because the slaves were never compensated. You know, so us mm-hmm. as descendants mm-hmm. of slaves have actually, because we're British taxpayers, have been paying. Mm-hmm. This compensation is
5: ridiculously crazy.
7: But come on, look who's in charge of our country. You know? well. <laughs> <laughs> well whose party has been in charge of our country for some considerable time. Um that's a whole nother conversation, but yeah. <clears throat> yes. Mm.
3: Wow, I didn't. And so, going back to what George, 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 um, James Baldwin's uh, uh, the, the the quote you read from George uh, from James Baldwin: "Things will never change unless they're faced." And I'm paraphrasing, obviously. So things have to be faced, and that's what's for me has run through all of what we've said here. Unless we face these things,
0: nothing will ever will ever yeah. change. I think there's so yeah. much. And there is so much anger and hurt. I mean, this this in a way is our time to start healing and this is where learning our history is part of that this is where having conversations is part of that i think there is so much healing that needs to be had you know i could for myself i can you know say even just from my own personal experiences just for being a black female manager have so much anger just around being in that position because i i have lost count of the amount of times I've been called a bully because I am actually just doing my job and addressing a difficult situation or addressing a situation that is unacceptable. But when my white counterparts address the same things, I've never heard them being called a bully for doing that. You know, they're just, you know, it's like acceptable for them to address things, but it's not acceptable for me. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm neg- negatively, stereotyped. Um, mm it you know this I said all of this for me just shows how much anger and hurt there is out there and how important it is for us to have these conversations it's important for white people to understand where we're coming from and i think somebody mentioned it earlier about knowing your prejudices and biases you know we all have them we Mm -hmm. do but you know when it comes to white allyship it is important that white people do their anti-racism work. You know, I'm a big follower of Nova Reid's work and she does anti-racism stuff. She's got some great podcasts as well. And I've started to realise how important it is for white people to do this anti-racism work. If they want to be allies, do the work because it is also about facing the prejudices to understand actually what's going on for yourself. You know, we all have a something, but we want to have a space where we can actually compassionately and gracefully talk about it?
7: I think that's really important I I know that in the few in the last couple of months maybe I suppose I've thought quite long and hard that oh well I've used that phrase um I'm not a racist yeah right okay yeah that that's not working anymore and I come to learn that actually it is really so much about anti-racism and I've been in the last week or so, two weeks, I've been astounded by how many people I know who don't share that point of view, who have been not very vocal about it. Well, one was, um, <laughs> <laughs> but have been actually overwhelmingly racist you know i've had things I, i have two facebook accounts and on one of them i've now closed it down because i simply couldn't cope with it because i thought i don't quite know what to say other than stop just 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 stop and it sometimes it doesn't sink in and you keep you know you and i need to do basically what i'm saying is i need to do more work on that because i'm aware that people in my um not immediate family but distant family um are racist and I find that offensive for the people that I'm friends with. I, I think I sit here and do I, I can't tolerate that. So I need to find ways to manage that. And I suspect I'm probably not alone in how do I call that out? What's the best way to do that? So my learning curve here is deep because I think by going in gung ho, you can make it almost, I don't know, you can scratch an itch and you can make the wound bigger somehow. I think because some people, the haters, will always hate to a degree or misunderstand. And that I think is a, a huge I think it's a huge challenge for for people. Not, you know, in in, in bridging that gap somehow. As a podcast we have a, a we have a, a a need to do that, a right to do we, we are in a position where we can do that, but God, some of it's so ingrained. I I just I with some people, some white people, that they I don't and, Anyway, blah, I'm losing the words now. <laughs> I just, I, I generally was quite horrified by some of the stuff that I have uncovered in the last couple of weeks because what is the, the, the communication that we're having and the conversations we're having have now led to more people coming out of the woodwork and saying, well, actually, all lives matter. And I'm thinking, hey, hang on, whoa, you know, where are you getting that shit from? What, whoa, wh- Where are you saying this from? You know, stop digesting the Daily Mail, um, please. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I hate that it becomes this competition.
5: Right. Mm. You know, me yeah.
0: saying that I have a problem or I'm upset or, you know, hang on, I matter. I don't mm. understand how someone hears that and, and hears, you don't matter. Mm. Right. Yeah. You know, and the, it, it's missing the point of the fact that, you know, there's a problem mm. that on we purpose? have to say Black Lives Matter. Right. Why, on purpose. You know, why,
7: exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Is it the, the analogy that I've used with somebody was that I don't say to any one of you that my loss, what I've been through, if you equate it to childlessness, for example, my journey, oh, it's it's more important than any of yours. My loss was worse. Absolutely. No, it's not. It's It's about opening up the narrative so that we understand that right now, we are in a position that there is (laughs) this constant suppression if we keep saying that and keep saying white lives matter all we're doing is oppressing people again we're back to where we started again it's Mm -hmm. that whole history is just wrong we're now oh my god it's just so so frustrating Mm -hmm. to hear that it's you know it's empathy it's sympathy it's giving people well actually just yeah space to talk space to breathe space to be yourselves not to have us saying you know again like the whole conversation about this podcast episode we just sat here we have to have an episode about this but we can't do that (laughs) Michael Sarah and I we can't do that that's not that's not our position to do that we can facilitate and be part of that conversation but actually we can't tell people what to do that is absolutely utterly yeah let's not go there. that's incorrect
5: but the fact that you're doing this and 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 asking the questions and, and hearing us, you know, and listening to what we're saying. And, you're, and, and in some cases, you're probably in shock, <laughs> you know. But the fact is that you're you're here and doing this and having this episode and having this conversation. This is what we're supposed, this is what I'm talking about. This yeah. is what we need to do. We need to talk, we need to talk about this and be uncomfortable and you can ask questions and yeah, we may think, oh my gosh, did she really think that, you know, but still, if you don't ask the question, how are you going to know the, you know, how how are we, how are we going to talk Mm -hmm. if there are no questions and there's no conversation, we have to have Mm -hmm. the conversation. Yes, there is a lot of research that a lot of books that you will have to read as a white person You'll have to do your own research. But like um, Yvonne said, we still have to talk. We still have to have the conversation. I'll I'll talk to anybody. I will talk to anybody anytime. But I don't want to, like, I think it was Yvonne who said, I don't want to be the history book. That's not my role. That is not my role. I'm not going to do it. But if you want to have a conversation, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. I
4: remember,
0: um, it just reminds me because, pre having this session of the podcast uh, myself and Sarah had a conversation and, and, and Sarah was saying, you know, um, just highlighting her uncomfortability, uncomfortableness around talking about race and using the phrase, I'm afraid to get it wrong. And my response to her was, well, as a manager and as people who have relationships who in and out of work, we're constantly going into forums, sessions, meetings, one-to-ones, whatever, and get it wrong.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, as a manager, there's times when I have to deal with a situation, I get it wrong in the words I've used in, in the phrase, or I've said something that triggers somebody else's, you know, and, and, and they, they're upset with what I've said, you know, and, We are not, as people, constantly going around going, oh, I don't want to have that conversation. And I know some people will do, you know, a bit more fragile about it. But we're not, on an everyday basis, going, I'm not going to talk to that person because I don't want to get it wrong. So why is it happening with race? The whole point about it, and as I said, you know, I'm like you, Sevilla, I would talk to anyone. For me, it's just about if I do get it wrong, I have you... through that that's how I am as a black person you know I don't advocate that all white people really would never... doesn't mean I won't have a racist encounter with them and it might be from ignorance or naivety something is said that I could take offense to or I find you know I'm more sensitive about but for me, it's about being able to say, look, I wasn't happy with that. And us having that compassion with each other, just like as childless people, we want people to have compassion with us yeah. about our childlessness. And, and when we're talking about our experience, it's about being having that, holding that space and holding that compassion so that actually we can have that uncomfortable conversation.
5: And I Ooh. think, I, th- I think, uh, like, I think Berenice was alluding to There are going to be a lot of white people who are going to be shocked about their Mm. friends and family. And some of them, not so much, but I think they're going to be a lot. They're going to be like, oh, my gosh, what do I do here? And I've I've experienced it on Facebook. I I have a friend, I had to message her and I said, look, you're my sister. We go to the same church and she's white. I said, you're my sister. I'm always going to love you no matter what, but I will not be having this conversation with your friends. Because I saw where it was going. You know, one of her friends posted about how she's going to get a gun. And if anybody comes in her house, she's going to put a cap in them and all this stuff. I'm like, that's not what this is about. That's not what the conversation was about. Why do you have to go straight there? Because you hate. You're filled with hate. And I'm thinking to myself, and these are your friends? Okay. You know, that's something you're going to have to deal with because I'm not taking that on. I have enough to deal with in my own life. So I had to message her and say, I love you. You're my sister, but I'm not having this conversation with these people. And I don't have those types of conversations on social media because there are a lot of crazy people out there, and I don't know if they live next door so I don't tend to have these conversations on there but when they started taking me there and I shut it down and I had to let her know I'm not we're done with the conversation and she said I know I understand you know I just try to to deal with them as best as I can and I'm thinking Mm -hmm. that's that's your problem not mine.
7: (laughs) That's an interesting way of addressing that because I think that's probably something we need that I think we're all going to struggle with I think from the the white point of view and again you're right so that's exactly what i was saying is that how you know these you just see it pop up and i'm seeing it so much more now whereas perhaps in the past i might have gone oh well that's just my crazy uncle posting shit again um i don't think he listens to the podcast but i hope he does because that's what i think um but now it's really offensive shit um because really there's enough out there now to know when you're being out of turn um if you want to listen and if you want to learn about it mm-hmm. um, yeah you no know, do you know what though
2: i think w- what interests me is that uh, you've all sort of alluded to the fact that you don't feel able to express anger and yet there seems to be an awful lot of anger from the white side you know what mm. i mean you see a certain type of person that isn't really willing to get involved in this conversation it might be fear might be hate but there's an awful lot of anger reflected back uh, the black community and the Asian community. So you don't feel able, you know, you're saying that you don't feel able to express it as a, a black woman, but it seems to be that it gets reflected back a lot. What is that something? Am I talking out of turn or do you feel that?
5: Oh, definitely. It's there. It's definitely, but I think it comes from fear. And I, I thought about, um, I don't know if you all know about um, It's it's been in the news. So you've probably heard about black wall street, Um, a certain place in Oklahoma Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. all these Black people Mm -hmm. had become so well-to-do and they were doing so well, and it just took a little, Mm -hmm. some foolishness, and the whole whole place got burnt down, and it didn't occur Mm -hmm. to me until recently somebody said "Um, racism is is born out of low self-esteem, and I'm thinking, I never thought about that. Yeah. I never thought about it, but Mm -hmm. it is low self-esteem that would cause you to come in and (laughs) burn down an entire community Uh and be angry at an Uh entire community that just a half a generation ago, you enslaved and now you're upset Uh because they're doing as you think better. And I've, I've run into that Uh too. People think that how dare you, how dare you drive what you drive? How dare you, have a master's degree and I don't have one, how dare you live where you live? They don't know how. Yeah. Yeah. How dare Uh, you? uh, uh. How dare you tell me how to behave Uh. at work? (laughs) How dare you You be a manager and I'm not? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's anger. Uh. And I don't understand it Uh. because this is not, I didn't enslave myself my people didn't enslave themselves. And there was a lot of slavery in the Caribbean, which is where I was born as well. I was born in St. Kitts. And um, there was slavery all over the Caribbean. I had a, a Scottish friend who, again, history, he told me that Scotland was the hotbed of the, 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 chain, the chains that they made to chain the slaves to take them to America. I, I didn't know. But he told me that was Scotland was the place where the chains were made and the boats and whatever else they made. And I, I didn't know. And so you're mad at me, because you made chains to tie me up and pull me out of my country and make me come to your country to work. And to be beaten and to be raped and everything else that that was done, and then because now slavery is over and these some of these people didn't know about it for two years. That's another thing. And and I think it was Texas. They didn't know for two years that slavery had ended. And now, now you're mad at me, <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't get it. But it's low self-esteem is what I've found out. And I really, I did not. Wow, that, that was deep for me to realize it. it's it's low self-esteem. That's all it is, low self-esteem. Wow. I don't know if I answered that question, Sarah, but
2: <laughs> that's what... No, no, I think you did. I mean, the low self-esteem thing, I mean, that's that kind of, it does chime a bit, doesn't it? When you see how pe- some people are reacting at the moment in what's going on, you know, it, it does chime, Ooh. I think. But I'm wondering how you experience, I mean, obviously we are all, child is not by choice. How How do you experience that? Uh, as you know as as black or asian how do you experience is it is it different for you do you feel have you got other pressures that perhaps as white people we don't have
5: i've been told that i've been people were shocked i've been told in the past that people they're like you don't have kids really because i guess they just assume like someone said earlier that we produce like rabbits and we all have 10 children and we all live off of welfare and all the things that TV puts out there. And so when they find out that you don't have a child, you never had children, and in my case, never got married, they're like, well, you, you're not fitting my mold. I don't get it. You should have 10 children. You should have no husband and all your kids are from different men. And that you're not fitting the mold that TV told me that you should. And you're not making any sense to me right now. That's what I, that's what I've encountered. Yeah, I've
4: had this discussion with, it's interesting that you bring that up because I, I recently had this discussion with someone probably four or five months ago and they they, they brought up an angle and I was like, gosh, I never, I never um, thought about that. But, um <sighs> so i think that there's this perception of you know in our societies of marriage and and you know having children and all that right it fits everybody's it's like oh yeah mm-hmm. that's what you do um but you know given the statistics of you know within the black community for example of you know for example men who are incarcerated or families that are not together or whatever what does it mean to be a black woman who is childless or, and or not married? So this whole notion of you not being protected, like it's almost as if like, if you're married, then that's some sort of status mm-hmm. and you're seen as sort of desirable, right? Like, Oh, somebody married you. Right. Um, but if you're not, you're of a certain age, you know, um, and you don't have children oh my god you know wrong so, with you? right and we haven't even gotten to which i was gonna bring up in another instance but we haven't even gotten to faith communities and how you know what that means if you're in that particular context and you're you're single you don't have children um there's a whole nother dynamic and how faith you know how faith traditions or communities um you know view race and 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 also you know gender and you know your status as, as being a mom or or a dad or whatever um it's it's so multi layered but when she said that, it hit me in a certain way i mean I'm not married, I'm not partnered you know. Um, at the moment, but it, it was just like, wow, you know, and she talked about, and again, I work at, I work at a small liberal arts Christian university. And so, you know, you're not married amongst a group of individuals that are married mm-hmm. are, um, you know, have children you know and it's it's kind of like you know i don't have family here so it's not like you know i'm popping over my mom or dad's house or whatever they're quite far from me and so then it becomes well oh that's interesting like you know (laughs) know, and and so it it, you just know so when she said it it's like we're perceived differently Mm -hmm. because it's almost as if like you're not partnered you're not you know it's like well what's wrong with her kind of thing yeah um, okay. and of course nobody well, depending on where you are, people might say that, but you know, nobody says it overtly. But I think that there is a status that comes with you, um, and it has to do with protection. It's sort of like, Oh, you're married, so therefore you have this, um, you know, in certain Christian faith traditions, say you're covering, you know, mm-hmm. your your husband is your covering. Mm-hmm. And so you're uncovered, you know, so to speak. And so um, I think that could be a whole nother podcast, but you know, about episode. <laughs> no, the stuff that I've seen coming from faith, like even just wow, I mean it's it's mind blowing. It it's just so. Oh, anyway, I'm gonna stop right there.
5: But. <laughs> well, one of the ladies in my um in my Facebook group asked why why the church doesn't talk about um women childless women and i'm doing my july episode on that but i basically told her well they don't talk about childless women because there's no story in the bible where the woman didn't end up having the child i can't think of one and i'm a pk i'm i'm a christian i've been i've been back and forth in the bible i don't see a story in there where the woman didn't end up having the child so that's going to be my july episode yeah. <laughs> because yeah. Anna. What are you going to do? I thought she had a child.
4: Anna. Anna had prophet. a child. Anna. Anna.
5: Anna. Oh, Anna. A-N-N-A? Anna. A-N-N-A? Yes. Oh, okay.
4: She is a prophet. Did she,
5: she, did she want kid.
4: children? I don't know, but she was widowed early. Okay. And she remained single for the rest of her life, and when they brought Jesus to the temple, she
5: Okay. Anyway, I remember that story. Yes, I do remember that story. People. And I, I could bring that up, but I don't think... I I think she means like the Hannah type or the Rachel way where these women were like dying for children and they, they had husbands They were dying for children. They were crying for children and they ended up having the children, but I don't know. And that's a good point, um, Krista, but I don't know of a woman who in the Bible then was dying and crying for a child who didn't end up having the child. And so as far as Christians are, are believe well, if you don't have the child, you must have done something wrong or there's something wrong with you. And that's the... Right. I've been told that too. I've been told that that I'm too picky. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, really? You want me to live (laughs) with... You want me to marry somebody? (laughs) Don't get me started.
4: My (laughs) my grandmother used to have this thing. (laughs) I shouldn't do this, but she used to have this thing and you might know it or whatever, but it was like you pick and pick until you pick.
5: Yeah, I've heard that one. Yes. <laughs> yes I've heard that one too. So and, and instead of picking that, then I just won't pick anything. How about that? Because I like my piece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially mm-hmm. at my age now. Mm-hmm. The, the mm-hmm. age I'm at now? I, yeah. No, I think um, I'm good.
3: Mm-hmm. I remember um when it, I remember when Yvonne and i were were, um, were talking about child assistance and who we could who we could go and talk to um, and I would say to her, "Oh I'll talk to my sister because my sister is um uh is she attends a a Christian church in in East London and uh, she has a a significant sort of teaching position there so I said oh I'll talk to her because I'm sure that the sisters there will be interested Uh, well I hope the sisters there will be interested in hearing about the experience of and talking about their own experience maybe of childlessness Um, and you know let's start a conversation my sister said well yeah i will take it to the elders at which point the red flags for me were going <laughs> um, and then she came back probably um, a week or two later she said well we may consider it but whatever position you come from you must come from a biblical perspective so you must be talking about women in the bible who have had children Mm. sis did you actually hear to my mind i'm saying did you actually hear what i wanted what we wanted to come and talk about childlessness women childlessness how are we going to talk about what you're talking about what we what we want to talk about is women in your church because there must be some women in your church have have had struggles to have children and you know it's just it's a large large church so um the, yeah well unless you're coming from a biblical I perspective kept, I what do you mean by biblical what are you going to be talking about going to make references to women in the bible who had children if they didn't have children the reasons why because normally those women have done something wrong oh. um you know ooh, i ooh, i realized that my sister and I were, were just not going to be able to work on this one at all. So, it, needless to say, Yvonne and I have not been to East London to uh, talk about this. That's a closed subject, altogether.
4: And I think it, it's... So um, because it, oh
3: God, it, it, it just made me look at how she sees me, her childless sister, um, who... Yeah, how does she see me then as her childless sister, who's actually a Muslim? heaven knows, I don't, but it just opened up a whole new a train of thought for me um, as to how she she may see me as well,
5: but, you know, very sad. Oh my goodness, we have our work cut out for us. We do. Another we do. Type of, we do. It's
4: another type of trauma, I think, you know, they're yeah. saying, you know, there's no hurt, like church hurt, because you know, you mm. think, okay, oh. um, that you're in mm. this community, and you know of course you know people come from different backgrounds and all that but you know you think well you know we all believe in the bible or the quran or whatever you know whatever your faith tradition is and so we're united you know with that but understanding that even within that that there are people the biases are still there you know it's yeah. sort of like if you look at i mean christianity is my faith tradition but if you look at you know the bible there's women who you know i mean even the terminology barren you know or whatever Mm -hmm. they could be children Uh Um, and all of the things that were ascribed to them like oh well you know they blah 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 whatever or cultural ideologies about Mm -hmm. why they 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 were barren so Mm -hmm. you know they had children um or your your worth or your value being you know in that you that you Mm had a child or children.
3: And to have child. Um, and
4: that only yes. That you have yes. a child or children, but that they were male. I remember growing up mm-hmm. hearing, if you have a boy, <gasps> your womb is blessed. And I was like, what the what? Like, what like, the? I just pushed a whole human being out of a narrow passage. And I personally think that whether they're a boy or a girl, i'm blessed because wow yeah. <laughs> i mean it's a whole yeah. another human right yeah. so i yeah, think that yeah. there are these, these cultural ideologies that are really embedded yeah. in um you mm. know mm. society but then what happens when that moves into a faith mm. tradition and then what happens when you add race on top of that it's just mm. like yeah mm-hmm. i
0: mean i i used to hear things like god withholds blessings until your marriage and you know you're blessed when you have children and you know and there's so much around children are a blessing mm-hmm. and and you know you sit there thinking well what am I then you know what is my life and I must say it, yeah it never fails no matter what I talk you know when I, I I'm a, being a public speaker I'm, I'm around I talk about childlessness and and especially as a black person and guaranteed after every one of the talks I do, no matter how much I say how hurtful it can be to hear the fixing things and, and people coming up to you saying, why didn't you try this? Why didn't you try that? I'll always get a black woman coming up to me saying she's going to pray for me. <laughs> Let alone still mm-hmm. trying to fix me, but they'll always say they're going to pray for me.
6: <laughs> I think the whole cultural thing is really something which... Um, goes on within definitely within the Asian community because it's that whole extended family as Mm -hmm. well. So you have all, you know, like your cousins will have their, their kids and they will be like your nieces and nephews. Like there's no thing that is just, if it's your brother or sister, that that's your niece and nephew or your grandchild, like everyone's the same, you know, and there's like so many like children out there Mm -hmm. and then you're, you know, then you don't have the child Mm -hmm. and it's like, And exactly what um, Krista said as well with the male thing. Oh my God, that's so much here, and you know, like so. You know, so even if you have the child, the girl child, or the second girl child, or the third girl child, you're you're still not enough, and you've Mm -hmm. had the children. So you know, and then you don't have the children. So then you just add that different um, that other layer of. You're not good enough. I guess. I guess that's what what it comes. Yeah. To, yeah. What they think of you, you know. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, d- I had a friend. And I just wanted to say that.
2: Oh, go on. No, go ahead. Go um, ahead no, so. no, 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 go, oh, go on, for go. It. <laughs> All right then. I was just going to say, I uh, when I was growing up, my best mate was from the Sikh community, and she had a sister, and then unfortunately, her. her father divorced her mother because he perceived that that her mum couldn't produce males couldn't produce an heir. And it was just oh, you know no. for, a, for a little white girl that was just like mind-blowing it's just like wow how does that happen you know and she she carried that around with her for a long time my best mate you know the fact that and it was the not good enough it's really tough to watch you know, it really and the even.
5: education? What about the education of knowing Is it it's the man that, um, <laughs> yes. that decides the exactly. sex of the child. I mean, education is so important. It really is. <laughs> it's just unbelievable.
2: Yeah. But I mean, I mean, you're right. There's another podcast there, isn't there? There's another yeah. whole topic there, really. <laughs> we can do that. We need to
7: do that. We need to do that. Yeah. We need yeah. to do that. Yeah, there is. Yeah. It does seem to me that the overwhelming theme of the podcast underneath everything is education. It really, really yeah, is. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. I'd be really grateful. Is there any I mean I see an awful lot of stuff on social media, um <laughs> too much stuff on social media about education, about resources, but is there any you've mentioned um the history checks, Savilla, um, in your um you're talking also Nova Read as well. Is there anything else that you guys want to say? Look, these are really good resources uh, for people to actually look at and to read. Anything you want to reckon? Bearing in mind, you are not our history teachers, of course. Um, but what would you say is the best thing? Just for podcast listeners who are thinking, yeah, okay, I know this, I get this. I want to do more. I want to be allies. Where do you go? What's good? What's bad? Big question, sorry, lumped that one on you Bet didn't
0: I? Mm. Um, so, why I'm not talking to white people about race?
4: I mm-hmm.
0: uh, found it really useful. Um, I think it was Neva or Sybilla mentioned um, anti-racism books. Um, I mean, you can go on Amazon and actually find there's good resources sources on Amazon about so those anti-racism books. Um, I'm reading Ain't I a Woman at the moment, which is about black women and fes- feminism, which is a really interesting read because it really shows, a lot of what we've talked about and the experiences, you kind of understand it in a different context and the layers around it when you see the history around slavery and feminism and how black women are seen as well, especially by, mm-hmm. by black men and black, ba- sorry, by white men and white women as well. So that's interesting. There's Slay Your Lane. Um, white spaces in your lane. Spaces. Slay in your own lane. Slay, slay in Your Own Lane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Slay in Your Own Lane.
4: Yeah. I'm, just gonna, mm-hmm.
0: I'm just going I'm just going on to mm-hmm. Google. So it's Slay in Your Lane. Mm-hmm. And that's by it's the, the Black your Girl lane. Bible. By Yomi Adayoki and Elizabeth, I can't pronounce her surname. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can find that on Amazon. That, I've heard that's a good book. I recommended it to a white mm. lady and she read it and she said it was really good. Mm.
7: Uh,
0: mm. Even things like "I Like British by Davy Olawosu um, is great because it talks about the black history in Britain. Um, he talks a lot, mm. he, you know, he's on BBC Four as well and he talks a lot about it. And one of the things I remember him saying, especially around the, the Windrush scandal, is about actually... know there's a thing about black people were invited here but we were always here there's a history of black people being in britain and and that's again an important thing to know and
7: understand
0: i've been reading
7: actually some of his work and i think it's incredible actually yeah and also just to say how to be an anti-racist i think that's on my reading list at the moment i'm actually halfway through that and again it's just amazing um the level of detail in it and the the stuff to learn from it. Absolutely. People need to go out and read more and mm-hmm. listen more. There's really no excuse. um If you can't read, they want to read a book, then listen to a book, listen to a podcast, you know, yeah. I'm and not Nova going to say Reed turn this one, one off, but yeah. you know, go. Yeah. The podcast. <laughs>
0: there's a lot of resources. And Nova Reed does anti-racism courses as well. She's mm, doing yeah. a lot of online racism. So, you know, so there are a lot of resources for people to go out there and, and tap into. Mm. And
4: I think too, you I would, know, um, oh, Go ahead, Anita. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Christina. Yeah, I think sometimes, too, that the arts get overlooked. I mean, um, yes, of course, we have books and everything, but um, reading poetry, even popular music, like if you if you listen to Childish Gambino, for example, I think he has a song called This is America. And, you know, looking at the layers that are present in music and in poetry in, um, you know in in arts um there's a there's a, a painting that i show in my uh social policy class um by i always forget this man's name but it's it's i think it's called the problem we live with um and it's a picture of a, a black girl um i think it's ruby ruby bridges when she was going into school and had to be escorted by and, you know, guards, there's a whole painting about it, you know what I mean? And so looking at painting, looking at poetry, looking at, I think the arts have a lot to offer us because when we connect with the arts, you know, people are often doing that from a place, from a a place of their soul where they're expressing, you know, their experiences. And I, I just think that it gets overlooked a lot. Um, you know, even rap music. I mean, there are, you think about Tupac, some of the things that he was talking about, mm-hmm. just in, uh, you know, black uh, relationships or just growing up in, you know, disenfranchisement, just there's just a lot there and I think that people don't think of that as a source it's just like oh that's playing the radio okay whatever but stop and listen stop and really listen to what the words are saying you know what is this person trying to lay to you how what mediums are they using if they have a music video like Childish Gambino there's so many layers in that one music video, and it's shocking because he uses things but he's like this is America so what what are they? What is that inter um, intertextuality that is being? What are the layers that are being expressed in that? So I just wanted to, to yeah. kind mm.
0: of even actually that, as you were saying that, Krista, films like The Hate You Gave that came out in two thousand and eighteen, yeah. which really yeah. mm. show again actually it's showing a lot of what we're seeing now in the media, but it's um, a young black girl's. I suppose, in a way, story around it, but you get to see actually what's playing out in her experience of racism um, and the, 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 them being innocent people, but the, her, her friend gets killed and how that all unfolds. Um, the Imitation of Life, um, oh. 1939 <laughs> film. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I need to watch it. I, I saw, I've seen clips of it and I'm trying to find how I can find the movie now, but, you know, this is a 1939 film. And it's about a black woman whose daughter looks white and basically passes passes herself as white and denounces being black. And it's all the layers around actually why she had to do that and how she's treated and how she didn't. She saw her mum being treated and she didn't want to have that experience. Um, That's the
4: thing. I feel like there's so much there, you know. That and you're right. Look at look at the year that that was. You know Mm -hmm. that that was done. If you look at County Cullen, you know we wear the mask, like that poem about just that whole thing. What we were talking about, you know, having to be a different person in different spaces, and here Mm -hmm. he's Mm right about wearing a mask. Oh gosh, you know. So yeah. Anyway, don't get me started. That's my.
6: (laughs) I love that around the art because I actually started when I did my racial injustice video, I started with a poem that I had written. And actually I think that poem hooked a lot of people into that, exactly what you said, the soul and the emotion. And I think that's what helps people understand because they can, you know, they can hear that. And I love that Childish Gambino video and the layers and all of that around that. And I think that's really, um, yeah, that's really good. And sometimes, especially at this moment, I find with um, everything that's going on in the world, sometimes it can be difficult to read as well. And these films are really important. And with the institutional racism, 13th was really powerful. And now they see us, is it now they see us? Yeah, that was really powerful as well, just to see that, how deep that institutional sy- systemic really is and how it's been there, you know, for generations and it's just there and it's like really deep. So 13th, definitely, definitely would recommend. Um, Cause I'm just finding a lot of people aren't reading at the moment, because, you know, there's so much going on with everything in the world and COVID and everything. It's just like, OK, so, you know, put on the, you know, watch the films and it's a good way.
3: Mm-hmm. And I wanted to um, recommend a, a book by Akala. You may have heard of, um, he's a writer. He's also a, um, a poet, uh, but he's written a, an extremely good book uh, called Natives. Um, the race, race and Class in the ruins of empire it's an amazing fantastically um well researched book a well written and if you get the chance and um, do uh, youtube him and just catch a few of his his youtubes he is he's uh, an up-and-coming serious brother serious african brother has a lot to say and a lot of um you know really uh, i think strong and positive things to say and i'd agree about the poetry and how that can um, uh, resonate with uh, people uh, when you write uh, write and maybe perform. I'm a, I'm a po- po- poet and I'm a performance poet. And in fact, at the event that we did last evening, um, online event that we did last evening, I read my poem um, that is called um, Where Are You From? And um, that I know from the response I got um is it resonates with people because i'm really saying look i'm from africa um originally the fact that my journey was interrupted uh, you know for a bit because i was taken somewhere else my my family were taken somewhere removed from africa and taken somewhere that means my journey was interrupted but you know there we are it 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 happened but i'm from africa i'm an african woman so um so i talk about that and and at the end of it I, i ask and so where are you from not in an accusatory way but it's a way of helping us to think about think about where are we from where are we from um so i would i would simply st- I'd say that and i hadn't heard of Ch- Ch- is it childish gambino
5: yeah yes
3: i'm going to i'm going to, it sounds very um uh, it sounds heavy yeah i must i must i must check them out thank you thank you for that mm. But definitely I recommend a Carla. Good brother.
0: Yeah, Miss Dynamite's brother.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, can I just say also that one of the things, just bringing it back to um, George Floyd, one of the things that, one of the reasons that I felt I wanted to watch that video was <laughs> um, I kept hearing about this. Uh, he called out for his mother and I, first time round, i didn't hear that i didn't hear it at all because i wasn't here i was hearing some clips but i wasn't hearing all of them not at all and there's so many big chops and two minutes of this and two minutes of i wanted to hear the whole thing and um as a woman i was so it touched me in a way as hearing him call out for his mum as a as a, as a woman I was a mother I was a sister I was an auntie I was a grandmother I was all of those things in that moment when I heard him and the the pain and the if you like the yeah the rage that that brought up that that brought up inside me I could only channel channel it into um, or I was guided to channel it into poetry so I was able to do that and um, uh, yeah so i wrote some poetry about that 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 moment and the number of seconds it took not the and not the 8 minutes and 46 seconds but how many seconds i think it was 526 seconds um it took and i wrote a poem called 526 seconds it's it's moving for me but um i know it's moving for other people because they've heard it it's uh, but i just wanted to say that as a woman uh, uh, that that and, and as a childless woman, I became in that moment, a mother um, to our brother, and to every brother and every sister that has died in, the, in any circumstance or where brutality and racism and, well, anything. Was, that the, was, that the, was that the, any brutality, any hard harsh treatment was at the base of that. I was, I was so moved, I, and I still am so moved by mm-hmm. that that experience and his cry.
6: Do you know what I heard around that time? I don't have the statistics, um, but I heard that the same number of black men have been killed this year up until that time as were last year. And I thought, so what happened with the pandemic? And, you know, nothing changed. It was like the same number had died last mm-hmm. year to this year. And it's like the whole... World was so changed this year because of the pandemic, but really, for for the black man, it was the same. It was like still dying, and mm-hmm. that really, you know, that really shocked me because I was like, it's the same number who had died. Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think it's about time I said something. <laughs> I, now I I I need to Hanifa. There may be tears but <laughs> it's more about me but remember,
3: remember
1: that's, i said but that's that's more about me and yeah things that happen to me um and i'm going to be i'm going to be really honest and and so girls if you would like to challenge me please do so but i want to get it off on the right foot and say i feel like i've won the lottery because i'm surrounded by beautiful women on a saturday night here down in australia so thank you very much um, <laughs> uh, but i must admit that the beginning of the conversation i was feeling uncomfortable i was feeling uncomfortable with um i don't know how to how to express this uh, but i think this is this is symbolic of this whole thing is that i i I don't know how to express this. I I, I was getting uncomfortable with um, this. May sound weird, but I was getting uncomfortable with being called white because, to me, it was like—and I get it now—because I will expand on it. But it was very—it was very divisive. And I think that's just the way that I've been socialized. I, I, you know, I remember something, Yvonne, We had a conversation some time ago, Yvonne, and I think you said it was something like, um, you know, it's it's when you walk into a room and every you just see everyone as the same, and that's not good enough. It's not. They're coming. Just let me take a breath. Um, So, yeah, it's not good enough because then through your passivism, you are shutting down every opportunity for a conversation to go on. So I want to thank you all for making me uncomfortable.
7: Yeah, I think we have to I'd agree absolutely, Michael. It is we need to be uncomfortable. I'm really pleased that I felt uncomfortable this morning because I think that it's very easy to to avoid these conversations, to not have them. And actually that you said before, actually as well, Yvonne, that it's we we're used to conversations that are uncomfortable. Through childlessness, we all have that in common in the sense that we've all had the, oh, just adopt, you know, um, relax, and all those awful things that people say to us. But I think we're in a powerful position as a community to be able to do so much more because we've all experienced some degree of uncomfortableness already in the situation that brings us all to the podcast today, I think, as well.
1: Thanks for saving me, Berenice. Oh, that's all right, myself. darling.
7: I'm, I'm good on that.
1: <laughs> I gotcha. You know, it's i just went So, ladies, I, I really want to thank you for, for, for enlightening me. Um, and for people who are going to listen to this, I'm not going to say, I want to, I want to say that that's as easy as it can be just having a conversation and listening to people about a very difficult subject mm. about something that you're and you know i'm guilty of it you know my my passivism sh- will shut it down so um yeah look i just i i let you know it's a secret the girls are going to kill me but we're sending messages to each other going and i'm going to swear and I'm not making no apologies. Fuck, what are we going to say? This is blowing our minds. <laughs> and, and, and it has. It, and look, um, so thank you. Really, thank you for doing this. Um, and thank you for enlightening me. And anyone, and all of you listeners, it can be that easy.
2: thank you everyone for coming in on today and i mean obviously Mm. we've been talking for two hours (laughs) but thank you so much for your time and for sharing i mean i'll be honest with you you don't get conversations like this where you you get that sort of insight so thank you for sharing and being open Mm. really appreciate it
7: yeah i think this is just one of those it's gosh it i feel like there's something kind of very powerful has happened in two hours um it's a valuable resource. I just, yeah, this is so much here that people can take away from your conversation, and I really hope that we can be part of that change. Absolutely, I think there is another podcast episode here that we just need to come back to you and yeah, come back, talk come back, about. please. Yeah, I mean, just because <laughs> there is so much more to talk about, and I've this this story is this this whole like you you you've all said and you've all alluded to is that this isn't a hashtag it's not something that happened then, and then we don't carry that conversation on you know if if we can facilitate and make sure that conversation keeps happening, then absolutely it needs to. It doesn't just stop, you know because the next thing happens, you know, and some more news happens, and then it also tie tracks away from it, um you know, like Boris Johnson painting flags on planes and shit like that that seems to overtake everything else in the news. That's not right we This is a constant conversation, it's been too long. It shouldn't mm-hmm. ever have happened and it shouldn't be in this position you know i, I was astonished by um Coulson's statue being demolished and the amount of people that just didn't know that um and i suppose maybe just being in bristol having lived in bristol briefly it was just something that was not talked about but it was there and it's uh, it's that just, just a, a, a sort of a, a narrative for everything isn't it really mm-hmm. it's it's there but let's not talk about it mm-hmm yeah yeah we need to be that conversation with you yeah Um, i hope it's been i it's been a good experience for you as well it's quite emotive isn't it
0: it is it has i'll let everybody else give their final thanks and and comments around it but for me you know i I think you know thank you for inviting us on inviting me on and, and allowing the other ladies to come on as well you know it, it's always you know as Sevilla says you know I like to talk as well and it's great to have an opportunity to to allow the vulnerability and the honesty to be there and and to have this have you guys hold that space for us as well you know there's so much more there's so many other layers you know people will sit there and say that wasn't my experience you know there are there we all know this we, we're not saying our experiences are the be all and end all and it's and it's but it's unique to us. And, uh, you know, I, uh, for me, I'm really grateful that we had the opportunity to, as the collective to share that experience.
5: I'd like to say thank you as well. And that, um, I hope we didn't scare you guys away.
2: <laughs> now you've got to try harder than that. You're going to be sleeping
5: with their
7: duvets over their heads tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we need what to be we scared. You know? <laughs> we need to be scared. You need to shock us because we just sit here and we can be complacent. You scare the shit out of us. I think you get on you do that and you make sure that everyone's damn scared because it's too much complacency. So there you go anyway. Yeah
5: well then i mean i guess i i I want us to have the conversation that's that's the point i want to make is i want us to talk again as long as i'm not your history book i want us to have the conversation because that's the only way that that we're going to get get through this not past it but through it and onto a better existence as as human beings and so i'd like to thank you all for having me on i appreciate it i appreciate the the opportunity to have the conversation and like I said if there's any portion of what I said that you need to cut out I
7: can. no nothing that I think we're going to cut out I was going to say to Michael it's the easiest and quickest edit that you can ever do yeah. because literally we're just going to run with it there's no editing here this, this okay. is I mean totally as long as you're comfortable then we're going to go ahead because yeah totally you know why would why would we edit I mean, at the end of the day we, we shouldn't And we're not in that position where we should do that unless you ask us to.
5: Because conversation is, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be. Yeah. That's part of the whole fixing this thing is that there's going to be some ugliness and there are going to be some hearts that might be a little bit shocked or broken. But I think we're not trying to break and shock on purpose to hurt, but to make it through this. So I just want to thank you all for giving me the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you.
6: I want to thank you all as well it's been really special and i just want to speak about that uncomfortable nature because yes it's uncomfortable and i think we also need to remind ourselves that when we step out of our doors and when we go into those rooms sometimes we're the only black and brown faces and that's uncomfortable too and it's like it's tough and it's hard i think for everyone but i think it's really really important and it's an important time as well so thank you very much for holding this space for us and for having these tough difficult uncomfortable conversations
4: yeah i just want to you know echo pretty much the sentiments that everybody had i found myself getting a bit emotional really but i think that you know a lot of times we are put in the position of educators I'm saying this as an educator, the irony is not lost on me, but
3: you know, you
4: get, you get tired of doing that sometimes, you know, you get tired of um, bringing these things to the fore um, or, you know, sometimes how you might be perceived from, from bringing them up, right? Cause it's like, oh, here we go again, you know, we're having this conversation again. Um, but I think that, you know, being able to share space Um, with people. And Michael, I really just want to thank you for, you know, for your um, comments, because I think it goes both ways. I think we, you know, have had our individual and collective experiences, but also the fact that we get to hear as well, you know, and maybe begin to dismantle or at least understand, um, you know, perspectives. I think it's, it's an important conversation and conversations need to keep happening. Um, so that we can do this, but understanding that all spaces are not safe, you know, to express that. So, when spaces are created specifically with safety in mind, I think it becomes even more precious because it's a crazy world out there, and there are people that are not concerned with your safety. There are people there who want to just, dis- you know, destroy or um you know just tear down as opposed to building up and making bridges and you know facilitation and all of that so i'm really just left with a, a profound sense of, of just being deeply grateful for for this space
3: and um and i just uh, want want to echo what everyone else has said as well um sorry michael did i i interrupted you sorry go ahead
1: No, you please go ahead. Go ahead, ahead, Mike. No, I was just going to say, just Uh, yeah, it's been, I've just felt, um, it's just been, uh, like Krista said, it's been very special. And I I really, really have um, found this time, you wonderful ladies, um, yeah, special. Mm hmm.
3: And um, like, like you say, Michael, I too have found it a very a, spe- a very special place and a very special space to be a part of, and I'm 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 thankful for that and for being given the opportunity to do that. And I'm reminded of um, again of the quote, James Baldwin quote that we came in with: "Nothing can be changed unless it is faced." And that is the truth. And that's what we've done here today. We've faced a lot of, um, if you like, a lot of issues that have made us feel, probably all of us feel uncomfortable at one level, in one way, somehow or another. But you know what? We don't come into this uh, into this world without some um, measure of discomfort. Babies mm-hmm. come into the world and their mothers come into the world and in discomfort and agitation and you know what that's a that that, that's a positive and creative experience um but i've had it but it's 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 a positive and creative experience agitation is is can be positive um and so for me i'm leaving this space with a profound sense of yeah it would be great to Podcast too, um, on the back of this, uh, and so to continue the conversation and if you like, to, to continue the discomfort uh, to as a way of beginning um, the healing process, cr- incru- increasing understanding, and then beginning the healing process so for me, this has been excellent it 's been wonderful, and I really thank our sisters from america and yourself michael in australia although i think it's night time for you but our sisters in the early morning michael are you in the night what time is it over there for you
1: um it's 20 past nine
3: in the evening in the evening so you're in the evening and our sisters are in the in the well it must be probably nine o'clock or something now i don't even know but thank you thank you thank you so much and um maybe you'll swap it around next time so we're going to have to get up in the early morning um but who knows i'm i'm up i'm down i'll I say i'm down for it if i've got to get up in the early hours then fine so that we share the experience i'm, I'm, I'm okay with that yeah thank you for the experience and great.
2: Mm-hmm. No, thank you all. It's been it's it's, it's like you say, leaning to the discomfort, isn't it? But thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for getting up so early. It's it's some crazy time to Ooh. be getting up. Hannifer, <laughs> 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 I was wondering, would it be possible for you to read your poem out as a way to bring the episode to a close? It seem, seems quite fitting.
3: Uh. Okay, yeah, yeah. Be okay. I can I can do that. Oh okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Happens to be
2: on my phone. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, um... I put you on the spot there. Sorry. <laughs> that's it's all right. right She was ready. She was ready. <laughs> yeah, she she's kind of casual, isn't she? <laughs> oh yeah, I've got it right here. Actually I was waiting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um let me see, I
3: can, can I find it now? Um uh, do I...
1: Where right. okay. okay.
5: Oh.
3: you from? Where are you from? Okay. Okay, thank you. So where are you from? I come from a vast ancient and sacred place known by some as the birthplace of the human race. My blackness is my proof and it is clearly defined. The roots of my Africanity cannot be denied. I come from a people whose strength and longevity are matched only by our pride and our dignity. Our resilience is recorded in the annals of history, telling stories of a people who fought tyranny and brutality. I come from a heritage that many tried to subjugate. They hunted us and captured us, and they kept us in chains proud African people held and deprived of our humanity but many refused to submit and they fought to be free I come from a land of blazing Sun and abundant minerals with rich soil natural energy and a wise and a mighty people. Though outsiders have tampered with our traditions and our beliefs, our essence remains and our determination persists. And so, I come from a continent of drums, dance and song, where my heart, mind and my soul will always belong, where the spirit of my ancestors still lives proud and strong. So I know my origins and my roots, but tell me, where are you from?